right, get your Bibles here to 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And we're going to read the first 16 verses. We're going to read quite a bit more than usual this morning. We're going to turn to a couple more passages also. We're getting ready to, uh, this month we're looking for some revival. And uh, I was told my Sunday school class, I might even preach along these. I, I probably will preach uh, along those lines. I've been working on a sermon with it. It's not necessarily revival that we need. Revival intend, implies that you're dead. Uh, nobody here is, is dead. You might be spiritually dead, but you're not dead. You, you, you're alive. You're just alive for the wrong things. You're excited about the wrong stuff. You're spending your, your life and your time with the wrong things. And uh, we don't need a revival. We might just need to get refocused, need a cleansing. That might be what we need. Um, but I want to uh, preach today on this title, From Revelation to Revival. From Revelation to Revival. So let's all stand together, please. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read the first 16 verses, and we'll read those verses responsively. I'll read verse 1 and turn that down. Something else you did there. Second uh, Samuel, just a tiny bit. Second um, Samuel chapter 11, verse uh, 1 through 16. And we'll read those verses responsively. Verse number 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem together. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, or Bathsheba, uh, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child together. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But, verse 9, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house, and with all the servants of his lord. And they went not down to his house together. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst not thou go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the fields. Shall I then go to mine house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, liveth, I will not do this thing. Together. And David said unto Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morn. And verse 13, And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, 
and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die together. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city, and he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. And of course, he was killed. Now, do, now go to the next chapter, chapter 12. And look at verse number 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. We'll do the same thing. Read responsive. I'll read verse 1. You'll read verse 2. I'll read verse 3. you read verse 4. So it's important to bring your Bible to church. Amen. It's hard to read when you don't have your Bible. So you guys ought to have a Bible. Um, so let's work on bringing our Bibles. Verse number 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Together, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had uh, bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and it lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Together, and there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wavering man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Verse 6, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul together and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah and if that had been too little I would have moreover given unto thee such and such things wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Together, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them to thy neighbor. And they shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die together. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now take your Bibles and go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. David here, a great man of God, somebody that we have often talked about and bragged about. We name our kids after David of the Bible. David, he, he at some point, something changes in his life, and he's, he, uh, he does not go off to battle like he should. Everybody else goes to battle. He stays home. He gets up in the middle of the night, goes on top of his house. It was typical for people to have, have um, uh, pools on their house where they bathe. And he saw a woman bathing herself, and he, he lusted after her. He sent for her, brought her back, committed adultery with her. 
And then he found out she was a child, and this thing was going to get found out because her husband wasn't there. So they knew, you know, uh, it wasn't her husband that got her pregnant. So he, he sent and got the Uriah to come home from battle. He refused to go sleep with his wife. And uh, he, he said, I'm not going to do that. My, my, uh, we're going to talk about that verse tonight a little more, but the loyalty that he had. He said, I'm not going to go down there. Uh, and, and my, 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 uh, my uh, master, Joab, is at battle. I'm not going to go down and enjoy the pleasures of being away from the war. He tries to get him drunk. That didn't work. He tried to get him to sleep with his wife. So he sent them back with a death notice and had him killed in battle. And then he came home, and David took Bathsheba for his own wife. Well, time passed, and, uh, and uh, uh, nothing. Uh, David thought not much more about it, but God thought a lot about it. The preacher showed up, Nathan, the prophet, told him a little story about a man, a wealthy man, a rich man, had, had everything he could ever want, had tons of, tons of uh, animals and lambs and so on, but he had a guest come in from out of town, and instead of killing one of his own lambs, he stole his neighbor's lamb. He only had one little lamb. It, was his own, it wasn't just a, a lamb for, for food or for profit, but it was a lamb that was his, like his daughter. It was his own pet. He, he ate at his table and drank from his cup. He took that little lamb and killed it and ate it. David got angry and said, that man ought to pay for what he did. That was wrong what he did. And Nathan said, that's right. And you're that man because what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong. Now go to Psalm 51. David realized his wrong and he repented. You just follow along. I'll read it for us. This is the psalm that David wrote. Psalm 51. After that, Nathan met him. He said, oh, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth on the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto me. He wrote this psalm because, listen now, listen now. He wrote this psalm because he, he, he sinned, he backslid, he sinned, uh, sinned, God got his attention, and he repented and went back to the David that we knew him to be. I want to preach this morning, and I know we're late, and so you're just going to have to bear with it. I want to preach this morning on this title, From Revelation to Revival. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless the truth this morning, that you'd use it. Help us to be calmed and stilled and listened. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated.
good old song there. All right, let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the, the, the message here. I know our time is a little late, but help us to, to listen and not be distracted by the time or the heat or uh, activities of the day, but to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope when you come to church, I hope you listen with more than just your ears. I hope you listen with your heart. I hope you listen wanting. Too many people go to church just because they're supposed to go to church. They have no desire or interest to even be there. Uh, we ought to come with a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And so listen this morning. I, I preached to you about the, uh, this subject from Revelation to revival. So David is a great man of God, a great man of God. And we brag about him, and God bragged about him. A man after God's own heart, he's called. He's a great man. The first place we find David, he's just a shepherd boy, just a young shepherd boy. And he's, he's uh, watching the, the flocks at night and, and daydreaming. Some people say that Psalm chapter 8 was David as a young boy looking up. He wrote that, looking up into the heavens and, and uh, 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 meditating about the things of God. But uh, this young shepherd boy who, who then uh, uh, went out to battle to see how his brothers were doing and his brothers were facing the Philistine army and, and Goliath was out there and, and uh, was trying to uh, defy God and, and mock God and the people of God. And, and everybody was afraid to go out and face this, this very large man over nine foot tall. And, but David, this is young shepherd boy, went by one by one and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Why are we not doing something? Somebody do something. And finally he said, well, I'll do something then. And he went out and, and took down the great Goliath and uh, became a hero in the land. Uh, Saul was the, the type of king that Saul was. He became a, uh, was a great king to start with, but he went bad eventually. And God finally said, David, you're going to be that next king. I'm going to replace Saul with you someday. And David, though, was a godly man. Uh, he, he graciously waited for God's time to come. And Saul uh, got angry at David and chased David for many, many years trying. Uh, trying to kill him. I'm going very fast here because I know how late. We're about 20 minutes later than usual, so I'm trying to rush to get to where I want to get to this morning. But he, uh, uh, he chased him for many years, and David was faithful, and David was loyal, and David never lifted his hand against Saul. Uh, David was a godly man. When David became the king, the first thing he did is he went and got the ark of, of, of God, the ark of Israel, and brought it right back to the land. He said, we've been without God too long. We're getting God back into Israel. He brought God back into the, uh, back into the picture, and, and uh, he assumed the throne, and it was a great king. The greatest king that Israel ever saw was David. But somewhere along the lines, something happened. Listen this morning. Somewhere we went from the great king David to something happened. Don't know exactly what, but something must have changed in David because the Bible says that the day came when the kings went off to battle, David stayed home. Now, wait a minute, David. That's not like you. That's not what you used to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to battle. The kings are at battle and you're a king. Why are you not at battle? But yet he did not go. He stayed home. He, he stayed in bed. He was getting lazy. He gets up in the uh, late evening and he knew what he was doing. He went to the top of his house and overlooked and saw the women bathing. And he saw Bathsheba bathing. And when he did, he began to lust with her. And he skipped the battle and now he's out there and he's flirting, uh, flirting with sin. He sees her, he sees her and uh, uh, he wants to... Um, uh, he, he lusts after her, and so he calls for his servants to go get her and bring her back. And, and so they did. They, they brought her back uh, to him. And uh, when they did, uh, he slept with her. He committed adultery with her. 
And then he, he sends her back home and he calls for her husband and brings him from battle and tries to get him to sleep with her. And then he tries to get him drunk and tries to get him to sleep with her, try to cover the sin. And finally he sends her back to battle and has him killed. I mean, this is the great David, a man after God's own heart. And you're looking at the things he's doing. The, the greatest king that there was. The greatest king of Israel. And now he's not going to battle like he's supposed to. He's staying home and being lazy. He's going up in a place he should not have been. He's lusting after a woman. He commits adultery with her. He gets a man drunk. He has the man killed. And he tries to cover his sin. And still nothing has rattled this king. It's very interesting. Finally, God took a preacher named Nathan. Nathan came down and found him. And Nathan gave him a story. And God got a hold of David, and God shook his world. David, what you just did is going to come back to you four times as hard. Fourfold, you're going to pay for that. Let me tell you something. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. Don't think just because God didn't say that, just because your name wasn't in the Bible, don't mean God still doesn't reward fourfold. Doesn't mean that God still has changed his mind about anything. Sin is still sin, and God still is just as upset. And your preacher's name may not be Nathan, but he's still your preacher. And he still has a message for you. So you better be careful about what God is saying. But God gets a hold of him and shakes his world. And he loses that baby. And his son is taken from him. David repents. We read Psalm 51. He turns his back on his sin. He repents, tells God how evil and wicked he's been, begs for mercy, and God brings him back up. And David then finishes out his life as that great king of Israel. This process has been repeated over and over and over and over through history. It's been repeated in churches. It's been pre uh, repeated in the lives of the people in this room. It's the same process. It doesn't change. I'm going to give you the process today. Number one, it starts with a revelation. It starts with revelation. It starts with that day that somebody brought you the gospel and you got saved. That day when you got born again. The boy, remember that day when you got saved? I remember how great it was for me. Boy, I remember how exciting it was. The burden was gone. I was thrilled about it. I was so glad to be saved. And uh, just to, I led somebody to Christ last week. And, and this young man, he, he got, after I left, he called his mom. And uh, he's 17 years old. Called his mom. Told his mom all about it. Talked about me all week long, she said. And, and he's just a, he just can't get enough. He's so excited. And, and unfortunately, he just couldn't be here today. But I'm hoping to be here tonight. And, but he's just, he's very excited. He said, I've never heard this before. Caleb and I were there. We led him to Christ, and we got done. I said, now, let me ask you, if you died right now, where would you go? He said, man, I'd go to heaven. I never felt nothing like this before. Boy, that's the way it is, man. When you get saved, woo, you don't feel nothing like that before. That's a, there's something that takes place. That revelation, this is new. I've never heard this before. I've never seen this before. I've been born again. My sins are washed away. They're separated as far as east is from west. They're buried in the depths of the deepest sea and the, and the sea of God's forgetfulness. I'll never pay for my sins again. Man, I'm saved. Wow, this is awesome. Boy, it's great to be saved, isn't it? I mean, man, the good have that joy that floods your soul. It's great that, that you want to be at church all the time. You open the songbook and you, you did your best to sing even though you couldn't and you found the Bible and the preacher said turn to Genesis and you're flipping all through the, the New Testament. And, and I mean, you were hungry though and excited about what God was doing. The Bible was fresh. The Bible was new. Church was a thrill. The preacher said, I'm looking for a volunteer. You said, I don't care what it is, but I'm volunteering, boy. I want to be in the, I want to be in the ministry. I want to serve God. I want to give. 
want to work. I want to be in the bus. I just do. I want to do something for God. You remember that day when you got saved and you were excited? If you were excited, you might want to check your salvation. Because I tell you what, how can the God of the universe move inside and you not feel something? Boy, something takes place when you got saved. And it starts with that revelation. You loved the Lord. You loved church. You loved the Bible. You got your Bible and you took it home and you carried it. And you woke, went to bed at night and you didn't know where to read, but you flipped through and you found something to read. And you have no idea what you read, but it was good. Amen. Amen. And uh, I mean, you go to church and you sat on the edge of your seat and you were hungry and waiting for God to do something. And the invitation came and man, you hit the altar. It didn't matter what was preached. God did something in your heart. You were at the altar doing business with God. Your life was growing. You were losing bad friends and gaining good friends. You were getting rid of bad habits and, and gaining good habits. You were getting rid of sin and gaining righteousness. I mean, you loved it, and it was a revelation you never saw before. Amen. But then something happened. It became the norm. It became the new norm in your life. I mean, it was, it, all of a sudden, it became your schedule. And that's good. It should become your schedule. But it became, that's all it became was a schedule. It became the norm. It became, you know, this is just what I do now. Now I go to church Sunday morning. I go to church Sunday night. go to church Wednesday night. That's what I do. Yes, I, I carry track. Don't pass them out, but you carry them because you're supposed to carry them, but you never pass one out. You have tracks in your glove box, but they've been there for years. You don't pass them out. becomes the norm. You carry your Bible to church because that's what you're supposed to do. You haven't read it at home for uh, two or three years, but you, but you, but you carry it because you're supposed to carry it. It becomes the norm that you do. Uh, 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 one of our uh, folks brought a visitor not long ago, and the visitor came, and uh, they sat on the edge of their seat. Boy, they sat on the edge of the seat and they were just soaking it up. They were soaking it up and they were soaking it up. Boy, they loved it. They were so happy. They were so excited. When they left, they said this to their, the person that brought them. They said, man, that was great. I loved it. I never heard anything like that before. And the church member turned and said this to them. Ah, it's the same old stuff to us. Same old stuff to us. And that's where you've gotten. You've gotten to where it's just the same old stuff. I mean, you don't sit on the edge of your seat anymore because, you know, I heard that before. You're not excited anymore because, well, it's the norm now. This just becomes the norm of what we do. We sing the same old song. Listen, if all we sang was amazing grace every service, it would still stir my heart. What a song. What great truth. If we read, there's a, a missionary, he had one page out of his Bible. One page of the Bible is all he had. And for 20 years, he preached every service and every sermon off one page of that Bible. Boy, I tell you what, you think you get the same old stuff. They get the same old stuff. I'm saying, man, it became the norm because it was what you normally did. That new life became your normal life. That new life became what you regularly did. And so now you did it out of schedule. You go to church. You carried your Bible. You have your, your posterior imprinted on the same place of the same pew because you've been there for so long. Uh, it's, uh, this is just what you normally do. We turn, turn, turn to page 361. You say, yeah, uh, there's a, uh, what, what is it? The, the when I see the blood. You know, I know the songs. I know the page. I know what they are. You don't bother opening your songbook because you know the song. You don't bother bringing your Bible because, after all, you know what he's going to do. He's going to read the Bible and preach. That's what we always do. And it becomes the norm in your life. So it starts with the revelation. Then it becomes normal. That's your normal schedule, your normal activity. That's what you normally do. Number three, then sets in complacency. Just happy with where I am. 
It's good enough. I'm fine. I grew enough. So you come to church and you sleep because why stay awake? You're happy with where you are. I mean, after all, you're just here to put on a show. So why stay awake? Just come to church. I'm complacent. I don't care if God does anything else in my heart. I'm happy with where I am. I don't care if I change anymore. I'm happy with where I am. I don't care if there's things in my life that still need attention. I, 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 was, I, was, I got revelation. I, found, I got saved. I became normal. Now I'm just happy with where I am. You've stopped growing. You've stopped uh, striving. You read your Bible, and you, but you're stuck on three verses a day because that's what you've always read, so why try anymore? You're just happy with three verses a day. You're happy with what uh, uh, you, you don't tithe, but you'll put 20 bucks in the offering plate once a month, and you're happy with that. Uh, you're just happy with doing what you've always done. You're not trying to get uh, anything out of it. You read your Bible, a little bit you do read, and you get nothing out of it. don't bother you. You read your few verses, close the Bible, say, I did my part, and you went on your way. You're complacent. You're happy with where you are. Church, yes, you go to church, but you're happy with who you are, happy with what you are. So you go to church, and you're happy to be in church. And just be happy being what you are, and you're content, and you're complacent. You're not looking for God to stir your heart. You're not coming saying, God, do something today. God, give me something today. I need something today. God, help me today. I've got to have help today. You're not telling you. No, you go to church because you're supposed to go to church. And you've gotten complacent. You've accepted where you are. Paul said this. He said, I have not attained. So Paul said, I pressed toward the mark. Paul said that I, I've not apprehended. I've not arrived yet. I've got to press toward that mark. Hey, give me a group of Christians that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Give us some Christians that I want to grow. I want God to do something in my life. I don't want to be the same Christian today I was five years ago. I've got to do better. I want to grow. I want to learn more. I want to be closer to God. But that's not your attitude. What's your attitude? I'm fine. I'm happy. I'm content. It's whatever. Oh, man, preacher's so real late today. Man, I hate it when he does that. Uh, uh, you're not trying to win more. You're not trying to do more. You're not trying to give more. You just, you have a complacent, oh, well, type of attitude. This is the, pro listen, this is the progression. Revelation. It becomes the norm. Then we get complacent. Listen. Then sets in numbness. You know, there's some people that live with physical pain, and pretty soon they just get numb to it. They've had pain for so long, it doesn't even bother them anymore. They just live with the pain. They just live with the pain. And that's where some of you are. You got your revelation, you're excited, but then it became the norm. And then you got complacent, and now you've gotten numb. You're calloused. Your heart is numb. Your heart is hard. Your heart is callous. There's nothing anybody can do to rattle your world. Well, people can come and say, hey, you've been complacent. Let's try to shake you out of complacency. Nothing phases you. Nothing bothers you. I've watched them. I've watched them. They sit in this room, and I've watched them my entire life. They sit there, and nothing will rattle them. There is not a sermon that will get their attention. There is not a preacher that can get them to bend. There's not a tear-jerking illustration that will draw them to their knees. There's not one thing that will get their attention. Why? They're numb. They're, they're cut off. The nerves have been seared with a hot iron. And there they sit, numb and cold. There's no circumstance that will move them. There's no, there's no sermon that will reach them. They're never convicted. They never come to the altar. They look at their watch, and as soon as the preacher says, let's bow our heads, their, their, their shoes get on fire, getting out to the parking lot. They're out of there, man. And they got to get, why? Because there's nothing spiritual that's going to get them. They're completely numb. 
how often I've taken that numb crowd and I'm wrong for doing it, but I, I, spend my, I spend so much time trying to wake up a numb crowd and really the numb crowd needs to stay numb and get on your way. Let's work on those that are in the norm. And get them on fire again. Uh, that numb crowd, I've tried to reach them. I've pushed my heart out. I've given my all. I've sacrificed. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've given to them. I've, I've reached out to them. I've tried to call them. I've tried to, I've tried to uh, help them. I've tried to love them. I've tried everything. And you know what I get? The same old thing. Numbness. Just numbness. Why? They're calloused. They're hard. They're cold. They're numb. They don't care about the things of God. And nothing will ever get their attention. There's no illustration that'll get them. There's no true story that'll get them. There's no testimony that'll get them. There's no sermon that'll get them. They're just numb. They're living their Christianity through minimal motions in order to simply keep a veneer that people can see. But inside, there's a selfish, godless life they don't care about. They're hard and numb. This is Listen, hey, there's some of you right now that you're over here. You just got revelation. You're excited. You love the Lord. I can't believe it, man. This is great. I've been saved. I want to serve God. It's you. Then there's some of you here that you've moved over here in this spot. It's the norm. It's what you do. You're not against it. But you, this is your norm. This is your schedule. You go to church Sunday morning. You go to church Sunday night. This is what you do. You write your tithe check. God bless you. That's what you do. That's the norm for you. But there's some of you, you've moved over here, and you're complacent. You don't care anymore. You're happy with where you are. No, no desire to grow. No desire to become more. No desire for God to use you more. You're just there. And then there's some of you that you moved over from there and you're completely numb. Completely numb. The things of God, God couldn't prick your heart if he tried. You're completely numb. Listen, number five. Then, then, this is what happened. Then comes the awakening. Then comes the awakening. And that's what happened to David. Hey, listen, uh, uh, in order to wake up that numb crowd, God's got to shake them good and hard. Got to get a hold of them. And that numb crowd that lays there and nothing seems to get them. Hey, don't you think that David, when David first, com when David first committed adultery, don't you think his conscience drove him nuts? And when David first tried, that's why he tried to cover it. So when he tried to cover it, and he gets Uriah and brings him in and, and gets him drunk and tries to get him home. Don't you think it was bothering him? And then finally he says, fine, I'll do it. And he sends him off and gets him killed. But you know what? Pretty soon, that didn't bother him anymore. The, num the numbness set in. Didn't phase him. He's still the king. I'm still on my throne. I still got subjects. I'm still a man after God's own heart. No, you're not. Be careful living off something that you were, David, and you're not. I'm still, no, you're not, David. You're not the man after God's own heart right now. What's going to get his attention? Nothing. A preacher showed up. That didn't get his attention. The preacher told him a story. That didn't get his attention. But when the preacher said, Thou art the man, and your baby's going to die, and you'll pay fourfold for what you've done, God shook him good and hard and woke him up. And listen, that's what's going to happen. We go from revelation, and then we get, go to the norm, and then we get complacent, and then we get numb, and then God's going to come in and shake us. And God's got to wake us up. One day... A man told one of our soul winners that was out. He said, you know, I was an evangelist. He said, I was a preacher and I was serving God. He said this, and then I got complacent. He said, I started drinking. He said, now I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I've lost my home. And I've lost everything. What's God doing? 
wake up. Wake up. Shaking him. Shake him good and hard. Wake him up. Trying to awake the numb man. God's trying. And the, and the man told our soul one of this. Is what he told him. He said, God's trying to get my attention. God's trying to get my attention. David, your baby's going to die. Time to wake up, David. Wake up, David. Wake up. What you're doing is all right, David. Wake up. You've got none to the things of God. Wake up, David. Hey, listen. God will come in, and God has a way of awakening a numb Christian. God has a way. Listen, uh, uh, he'll come in. Hey, I, I, don't, don't wait until your child's dead. Don't wait until God comes and says, I'm taking your child. Don't wait until God, don't wait until you find yourself in jail, spending time in jail somewhere. Talked to a man the other day, Gold Crow, I think I mentioned it already. He was in church, he was a pastor, but he went through this pro progression of revelation and he was serving God and it became the norm and then he got complacent and then he got numb and he got involved in sin and he lost everything, his family, his church, his home, lost it all and ended up in jail. And now God shook him and woke him up and now he's back in the ministry. We gonna wait till all that happens? You gonna wait till God has to wake you up to get your attention? Are you gonna wait till there's a car accident for God to shake you good and hard before you open your eyes and listen? Are we gonna wait until God brings a disease or a catastrophe in our home and we don't know what else to do and God shakes you good and hard and says, hey, you better wake up! Listen, God's not going to let you, if you're a child of God, He's not going to let you sit there and walk down a path of sin and a path of numbness without one day waking you up and saying, hey, get right with me. God's going to wake you up one day. There's an awakening that takes place. It starts off with a revelation. Excited about being saved. This is great. It's wonderful. I love it. I love serving God. Then it becomes a norm. This is just what I do. And then we get complacent. Well, I'm happy with where I am. No need to change anything. And then we start getting numb. And sin comes into our life and we don't feel conviction anymore. And, and we begin to backslide and it doesn't even bother us. And we, and we sit in church and nothing can, uh, convicts us. And we read our Bible and never speaks to our heart. And we're numb to the things of God. And then God has to come through and grab us and shake us good and hard and wake us up. And try to get us once again to get back to Revelation. And then, listen, after he wakes you up, then comes revival. That's when comes revival. Suddenly, God gets your attention. You're back in church. God gets your attention. You're back on the front row. God gets your attention. You open that Bible once again. God shakes you and wakes you up and, and gets your attention. So what do you do? You, you get back into praying and spending time with the Lord again. And God shakes you good and hard. And he brings you back. And now you're growing again. And now you're taking off again. And now you're serving God again. And now you have that sweet spirit again. And now you're faithful again. And you're hungry again. Because God brought forth a revival. There's people in this room right now that this is your testimony. This is your testimony. Revelation became the norm you got complacent you got numb and God had to wake you up and then you experienced a revival here's the thing here's the thing why don't we get our own attention before God has to get your attention right. Amen. the Bible says judge yourselves lest you be judged God always gives you a space of time to straighten yourself up that we do with our kids Kids having a bad attitude? Fix your attitude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you time. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. You fix it. 
By the time we get to the end of the road, it better be fixed. By the time we get home, you better fix your problem. I say this all the time. Either you fix it or I'm going to fix it. Now, which one do you want it to be? Either you can fix the attitude or I'm going to fix the attitude. Either you two can fix your problem between each other or I'm going to fix the problem between each other. And God comes down and says, you've got a choice. Either you're going to fix your heart or I'm going to fix your heart. You fix your walk with God or I'm going to fix your walk with God. You fix your attitude or I'm going to fix your attitude. You fix your numbness or I'm going to fix your numbness. And pretty soon, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll blow God off again and God will come down and say, fine, I'll fix it then. And boy, when God fixes it, he knows how to fix it. He'll fix it. He'll get your attention so bad. But the problem is there's a loss in between. There's some destruction that took place in between. So I say, listen, what in the world is that? Is that the neighbor? Uh, neighbor's dog's chewing on a toy. Um, get your attention before God gets your attention. I've been saved 29 years. I have labored and I have worked and I have travailed in those 29 years to stay right with God. Because as soon as that revelation starts to wear off and it starts to become the norm of this is how I live and I start to feel complacent, I stop and say, wait a minute. I can't be happy here. I can't be complacent. I can't be satisfied with my walk with God. I can't be satisfied with what I know in the Bible. I can't be satisfied with the people we've won to Christ. I can't be satisfied with our church. I've got to get back. I've got to fix my heart. I've got to get excited again. Give me an altar. Give me a Bible. Give me a track. Give me a soul. Give me a song. Give me something because I don't want to wait until I get numb. And God's got to get my attention because if he gets my attention, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. So why don't we go from revelation straight to revival? Revelation, straight to revival. Let's skip all this middle stuff. Get your own attention. Because if you don't get your attention, God will get your attention. I promise you, he'll get your attention. The problem is those of you that need to get your own attention, you're so numb. It's not even phasing you. You're the ones that really ought to be like, I got to fix this. I got to fix this before it's too late. Those of you that are here and it become the norm, be careful. You're one step closer to the awakening. Don't let it become the norm. Don't just come to church because you're supposed to come to church. Come to church to get something out of church. Come to church with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Don't get complacent. Once you're complacent, you're one step closer. Be satisfied with your Christian life. So you come this Sunday morning. That's great. Listen, I'm glad you come Sunday morning. Hey, come Sunday night. Hey, that's, that's why we do these little program things to make it a little more fun and exciting give you an excuse to come Sunday night. Amen? Come in Sunday night. Yeah. Come Sunday morning, Sunday night. Hey, come Wednesday night. And most of you that don't come Sunday night or Wednesday night, you do not have a valid excuse and you know you don't. Let me ask you, if you skipped your job for the same excuse, would you still have a job? No. But you expect God to take your excuses? My Bible says he's a hard taskmaster. The Bible says the Bible says that he's a hard man and uh, and a stern man. Uh, that's the t- that's the type of person God is. Hey, before if you're in the norm, get back to your revelation. If you're complacent, you got to get back up to revelation. Skip the others. Get to revive yourself and get back to where you were. If you're that place where you are numb for the things of God, listen. You have to have enough character to realize you're numb, and you better have enough character to realize I got to fix it before it's too late. And those of you that are not numb yet, I warn you, don't get there. 
don't get there because it's a bad place to get when you don't care about the things of God because then you have no choice but for God to get your attention and he will and God knows how to get your attention more than anybody else would ever know he knows exactly what to do that will bring you to your knees you know what you're better off to drop to your knees yourself don't wait until eternity when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Don't wait till God drives you to your knees. Drop to your knees now. Say, Lord, I've gotten complacent. It's become the norm in my life. God, I've gotten cold-hearted and numb and calloused. And Lord, why is it you haven't been speaking to my heart? And why am I not interested in the things of God? And why have I been backsliding and sin is invading my life again? God, I was saved out of that life. I was saved out of that. And I remember the day when I was excited and on fire for you and, and winning souls and passing out tracks and in a bus route and soul winning and living for God and faithful in church. The best days of my life. But now look at me then bring yourself back to Revelation and get yourself back there right with God before God steps in and says, let me help you. Because he will. And it's a sad place to be. Let's bow our heads, please, this morning. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.